Today we're continuing on uh, with this idea of uh, the role of the individual and the role of the church. I could not really come up with a cutesy name for this, so it's kind of the role of the individual and the role of the church. Um, and at first I kind of had it, the individual versus the church, but that's as true as that may be sometimes, that was never God's intention that it be the individual opposing the church. Today, I really want to focus on the role of the church in your life. I think, it's, I think it can be largely misunderstood, and I think it can hinder our ability to really grow. And so I, I want to share this with you, and, and it was kind of a delight this morning. We've had kind of a spectrum of things that, that God does, and I'll be bringing up uh, some of these things as we go. Uh, but first, just that, that quick background uh, that we kind of covered as we entered into this last week, uh, the, the, the story begins where God breaks the bond of sin in the spiritual world. We have become in the spiritual world this puppet. And so the unseen world is controlling the seen world with much influence. And God breaks those tethers. He breaks the ability of the, of the enemy to say, I have the right, the power, the authority, and the command over you. And as long as we're under the power of sin, he is saying something true. That's a true statement. He can invoke that power because it belongs to him, because we are tethered to him, connected to him through our sin. When the Father comes in through the power of what he did through Jesus Christ, and we receive that power, we receive that breaking of those things, the story begins right there. But keep in mind, the story we painted was two pieces, the seen world and the unseen world. And after those bonds are broken, what we know in Scripture and in our true life is everything doesn't go perfect at that point, does it? It's not like all of a sudden I have no temptation, I have no addiction, I have no struggle, no fears, no anxiety, no greed, no lust. None of that exists anymore. That person does not exist. But what we know is that we have been given the power and the place of, of growing and maturing in the Lord that does overcome those things. It becomes our journey in, into that righteousness that is given to us completely at the beginning. So that righteousness is given to us, and now we begin to grow into it. So it's like, you know, a four-year-old, you know, putting on his dad's suit and and he walks around in it. He's a little sloppy, but he grows into that suit. And that's what we're doing. We're growing into Christ. We're growing into that. You see, that is our quest. Because as we're growing into Christ, we are more effective. We're more in relationship. In reality, we become more the person that we were always created to be. But we do that in a world that's still very broken. The scripture says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what it says. 
So Paul gave us this perspective. We're not going to go over the scripture again, but it's in 2 Corinthians of the seen versus the unseen. And the, the, the three pieces for each of those we pulled up, the perspective of the unseen is God says your strength and protection is found in him alone. That's, the, that's an unseen perspective. It's an unseen understanding. You have to get a grip on that. The scripture tells us it's not your muscles, it's not your power, your influence, your money, your weapons. Whether you're, whether you're uh, President Obama or whether you're President Putin or whether you're um, Michael Jordan, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the real power in play is not what you're seeing. And when we lose our perspective of that, and it's so easy for people to do that and the church to do that, we lose reality. We lose the grip on reality when we lose the perspective of the unseen. That perspective will also grant you this. Man is not your enemy. Or if you struggle with women, women are not your enemy. That's not who your enemy is. Never was. Your enemy is not what you really see here. And we see in the scripture that the devil has schemes against you. He has judgments and schemes against you and against me. And he's carrying those out to the fullest of his ability. That's the unseen. That's your world. That's my world. Those are the three things. Your strength and protection is from the spirit world, the unseen from Jesus. Your enemy is not mankind. Your enemy is the unseen, and that is Satan. The perspectives on the scene. <clears throat> Scripture offers this new perspective on troubles and injustice. It says discount them. As decision makers, discount them. Don't let your, your, your circumstances control you, but let what God is doing be the primary drivers in you. If you let your, your, your struggles, your addictions, your failures, or people who have you know, jacked you around or messed with you or hurt you or stolen from you or made a victim out of you, then that's what you become, their victim. And we lose the perspective because the seen has overpowered the unseen. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, I, through Jesus in my life, I cannot be your victim. We rightly see what is seen when we have the unseen perspective. And you, and you have that list? You have just described the scene. And then God would say, now, I'm going to ask you again, what do you see? Because if we don't get geared to that question, if we don't get geared to that way of thinking, we cannot walk with him in a way that we're ever going to make sense of our life. If we can't see people through unseen, we won't be able to love our enemies. We won't be able to love people who are difficult. We won't be long-suffering in ways 
that makes us effective in Jesus. And our values go from temporary to eternal, from this world to the world to come. We have to acknowledge and embrace these two worlds that collide. And we live there. We live there. We embrace that. And uh, Jesus says it this way in John chapter 16, uh, 17, verse 16. He says it this way. And he's praying to his father at this moment. He says, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. That's what he says about you and I who followed him. That's a bold statement for Jesus to align himself to say, they're not in the world. I'm not in the world. They're like me. You see how he hits that neither place and holds us there. Jesus and the individual and the church. Individually, you are whole and complete in Jesus. You are able to do and be all that he calls you to do and be anywhere, anytime. I don't care if you're shy. I don't care if you don't know the Bible very well. I don't care what your circumstances are. Through Jesus, you have the potential and the ability to be everything he wants you to be in that moment. As I shared with you last week, the corporate expression of God on earth, his church, his kingdom, it's a collection of individuals redeemed and shining for his purpose. So we are complete already. We are complete as individuals. But last week I invented a phrase, you are completer and you are wholer in the body of Christ. And that's where I really want to talk about today. What does the church do for you? What, what are you supposed to get from the church? Well, the first thing we understand from Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, that he gives these roles. There are these uh, roles that he gives to people, apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, these different roles. And last week we looked at that in Ephesians chapter 4, and it is for the equipping of people, for the training of people. The first thing the church does for you is it provides equipping and training for your life. It provides the things you need to be you. It shares and shows and practices spiritual things. It participates collectively in the unseen. It's a place to walk in and identify and be a part of that reality. In the scripture where it says it's given apostles, this is uh, starting with chapter uh, 4, verse 11 of Ephesians. 
Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church. To train, to build you up. The role of the church is not to take care of you. The role of the church is not to be the strong place because you're weak. The role of the church is not to make friends. I hope you make some. The role of the church is to train and equip you in your identity and who you are. I mean, these young people shared today they were, they, had, they were equipped, and they used that equipping for God's glory. And God was revealed, he was expressed, he was glorified, and mankind was too. The church is a collection of believers. It doesn't mean unbelievers don't walk in. We work hard to get an unbeliever to walk in, a hundred unbelievers to walk in. But what we do as a church is we gather intentionally for equipping and training. That's the first thing. I want you to know, although that is the role of the church, do you know that it is your responsibility, my responsibility, that I see to it I'm trained? It is your role. It's my role. Ephesians, I mean, I'm sorry, Galatians 6.6. 6, be very sure now that you have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity. Be sure you have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity. That you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you. We have a, a course here called Vineyard 101, and we have a couple uh, who happens to be working with our children today. But um, when they heard this course, Vineyard 101, uh, and it was, you know, some training in that, they wanted to know when we're going to hold a 101. And we didn't really have an answer, so then they asked again. And then they asked again. And then they started putting notes around the building. When is the next 101? And my thought was, here's, all right, I'm going to be honest with you. My thought was, let it go. That was my, that was my thought in the moment. Um, but the more we went along, and of course God brought some, some uh, healthy correction to myself, you know, they were doing their job. They were making sure that they were being equipped and trained. They were saying, wait a minute, I haven't had that. I bet I need it. And my request is not going away. Thank you very much. <laughs> we are planning a Vineyard 101 training. You will all be invited 
Stay tuned. Very soon. And I want to tell you, it is, it is because the body of Christ was, was making sure it was being trained. It was coming back with that feedback. Training and equipping God's people to do his work. This is, there, there's lots of God work that goes on here. I mean, because God's work goes on everywhere. But this is not the God work place. This is the training place where God work happens. It's fellowship. It's lots of things. But understand, the God work, if, if, if we are working the God work is wherever you are, whenever you are. You see, when our youth are just going from person to person to person to person, asking, can I pray for you? You know, we have a 13-year-old a youth that's looking at a 40-year-old adult. Hey, what can I pray for you? You see how it's starting to work? Just indiscriminately offering the blessing and the power of God's intervention in the life of another person. You know, that's, that's a gift you can't buy. That's a reality the world longs for, for someone to feel that way about a stranger. I am interested in how God might want to bless you today, heal you, encourage you. And if you don't know him, I'm willing to, to talk to him about you. The next part that's mentioned there in Ephesians chapter four is the building up of the church, and then it says the body of Christ. All right, so equipping us to do his work and building up the church, the body of Christ. Now that term building up means that it grows this way in maturity, but also that it, it grows because it's viable in the world. Both of those are true in this language. And then he goes on to describe how that might look. So, the role of the church is to take on the responsibility of training and building the body of Christ, equipping, and that equipping does stuff. Does that make sense? That equipping of each of us has a positive effect, not just here, but everywhere the people of God go. Do you know who invented going viral? God did. That's a God thing. Where you take one tweet and it can go to 10 million places because it catches on. That's what he wants you to do with his story. He wants you to take it everywhere you go. And if you will forgive this phrase, but I like this phrase, he wants you to sell it. 
How? He wants you to sell it by demonstrating and by modeling how different God is. That he is the answer to the problem. He goes on. How would it look to build up the church? Ephesians 4, we read on, starting in verse 13. This will continue. This building up, this equipping, building up, equipping, it will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We will no longer be immature children. That's the goal. The goal is that we attract into unity, that we grow in our maturity until we aren't immature any longer. Do you know that's your role here? That's my role here is to grow in my maturity. The church provides that resource. So it builds up the church, maturity, unity, and growth. I'm going to focus on one of those right now. One of the key elements of the body of Christ, and that is unity. The scripture really has a lot to say about unity in the body of Christ. And God really demonstrates it to be really a critical piece. It's really a critical piece. Ephesians 4, again, and we're going to back up a little bit. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you, you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Bind yourselves together. Keep yourselves United. Now, when you read about unity in the Scripture, let me tell you what's going to go before it and after it. This is a punchline for you. Before it talks about unity and after it talks about unity in the Scripture, here's what it talks about. All the places that you're going to have to die as an individual. All the places that you are going to surrender rights. All the places that you are going to give up or give in in some way. That's what it describes. I think that's why unity in the church is almost rare. Because it requires each of us to lay down our lives in a very practical and a very real way. If we want to grow in our maturity in the Father, if we want to be in Jesus, if we want to follow him, if you want to connect in the unseen, you will have to lay down in a very practical way your individuality, your offenses, your struggles, I am, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm really kind of taken by 
is the couple who kept challenging us to do 101. Do you know they never got offended at us for not doing anything? They didn't leave the church because we weren't feeding them. No, they chose not to be offended for whatever their reason and continued to press toward the goal together. That's a very remarkable thing. We read, make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together in peace, for there is one body, one spirit. You've been called to one glorious hope for the future. But if I were to back up a verse, it says, always be humble and gentle. Oh, by the way, always humble yourself. Oh, by the way, Practice gentleness. Oh, by the way, be humble and gentle. You know, we'll blaze right past a word like that. That very first one is a killer. I'm supposed to humble myself. Always be humble. How often are we supposed to be humble? Man. But it gets worse. Be patient. Oh, now I have to be, I have to be humble, I have to be gentle. Now I have to be patient. There's more. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Make allowances for each other's faults. Because of your love. Make allowances for each other's faults. That means I can see you and I can be aware of your fault, but it's not what defines you. And when I look at Jesus and he says, what do you see in that person? If I see their fault, then Jesus says, look again, because you stopped too soon. Doesn't mean I can't see a fault. It means I can't stop there. And I'll tell you, for pastors, that can be a hard one. Pastors can be terrible at all this. I remember a sermon I did at another church long ago. You know, fairly big church, 500 people. And I remember my sermon was, I love God. I love Jesus. I love the ministry. I love doing the work of God, doing the will of God. It's the people I can't stand. They make me crazy. I, I did. I did. Um, you know, every now and then you have a bad sermon. <laughs> I was speaking the truth, unfortunately. Now, there was a redemptive part of that message. But I wasn't really kidding. And God's had to do a lot of work on me, like everybody else, 
because my seeing stopped too soon. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 4 and you read, always be humble and gentle, so that you can carry that, always be humble, always be gentle. Do you see that? You see the problem? Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Then it talks in verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. It tells you how to do that. Where the Scripture talks about unity of the body, it talks about the cost to you and I. There's a death cost. There really is a dying. When you, when you tell a part of you that's been violated or insulted or ignored or overlooked or misunderstood or judged, all of those things, when those things feel so powerful and so real to you, then it's your moment. It's a defining moment for a believer. And in that moment, for them to go forward in the unseen, they will have to die a little bit. My wife and I had a, I don't know what you would call it. It was a, um, a difficult come to Jesus between the two of us about a week ago, something like that. Um, and it was difficult. It was difficult. And, um, and I can tell you, uh, I had to do a fair amount of dying in that. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to say, wow, I'm mature. I'm trying to say, I didn't want to die. You know? Uh, we, don't, we don't step into that individual death because we want to. We step into it because that's the road to, f to go forward. I don't, I don't take on that personal death in an injustice or being misunderstood or lied to or whatever. I don't, I don't step there ever because I want to. I step there because that is the way forward. That's where Jesus calls me to go. Because that's where Jesus went. He went to death. If we want to know the unity of Christ. And by the way, just so I can, it's been amazing. Death is not all bad. Because on the other side of death in Jesus, there is life. And there's life abundant. The church, build and equip. Build and equip. And the church is a place where we practice our unity because when we do, we practice death. We practice following him. See, the church is that place. Colossians 3.14. And all of these virtues, and if you go back and look before 3.14, 
You're going to see some virtues. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds uh, the all, us all together in perfect love. It binds us together in perfect love. Now, if you go back and look at those virtues, you know what they are? They're forgiveness. They're repentance. It's all those things that require us to lay down. By the way, that was not me bringing my wife to Jesus. That was my wife bringing me to Jesus, just in case you're wondering about how that works uh, or how it worked in this case. Romans 15, 5 through 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart, in one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. I'm going to close with this, because we're out of time. We just went to our national conference and our our national director had this catchphrase that he used. We will do better together than any will do by ourselves. We will do better together. That's the mandate for the church. Its power is that there are a lot of gifts that can come to play here. This morning we had tongues. We had interpretation of tongues. We had people having words of knowledge, people interceding. We had testimonies of God's faithfulness. That's God doing what God does. All of this is so that you and I are equipped. You walk out with more than you walked in with. You walk out with a story you didn't have when you come in, an illustration you didn't have when you come in, encouragement that you didn't have when you came in, or maybe you've been challenged in a way that wasn't there before you walked in the door. You see, if I were your trainer and I had the power to say this to you, to everyone here, I would say, when you're here, I would get everything I could. I would put notes on the wall for things I did not get because that is where you miss out. When it's Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or your neighbor sitting next to you or you're tired because you were up too late, don't let it rob you. Don't let it take away from you. I've been to many youth conferences And I see the kids there that probably their parents forced them to be there or something. They're sitting in the back. They don't want to be there. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because they're missing out on something. And I'm not even talking about a youth meeting. I'm talking about 
they're missing out on what God has for them. Now, because I spent so much time on the back row of different places, I know that God is very alive and active on the back row. That's just who he is. If you could stand. <laughs> 